Father, I thank you for this time we have this morning to fellowship. The fellowship with other believers in Christ. Fellowship around your word. To come together and sing and glorify you. Holy Spirit, teach us. Direct our paths. I ask that you would be with the young people, the children downstairs, that they would be filled to overflowing with the truth of who you are. Bring excitement into their lives as they understand more and more about your word and you. Thank you, Father God, for this time. In Christ's name, amen. We're continuing the series that we we started several weeks ago about living as the church. Every one of you who is here this morning and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the church. And as we continue this series, maybe you're catching on that all of these topics that we have looked at, they are intertwined and they overlap. We've looked at prayer. We've looked at preaching. We've looked at worship and fellowship and serving. And this week, the the, the serving and fellowship stuff kind of continues with where we're at. This week, we look at stewardship. And usually, if you've been in the church for very long, you know that in some respects, stewardship is a code word that pastors use for, give me your wallet, we need your money. But there's far more to stewardship. And there's far, far more to giving financially. We are in this together. We are the body of Christ. So a person living as the church must be participating in ministry. There needs to be participation. I start with a question. What are you doing? Are you doing anything? The the reality is that the possibilities of serving at FBC are extensive. We've provided a list of some ideas. And some of those ideas are kind of jumping off places. Some of them are very specific. I want to mention a couple because they really touch my heart and are extremely important. The first one is foundational. It's prayer. Prayer is not optional. It's to be a priority in every life and in every church. Every one of us who proclaim Jesus as our Savior needs to be involved in prayer. Every believer is qualified to talk with God. You have direct access with the creator of the universe. So go talk to him. This prayer needs to be specific, continual, passionate prayer. Individually and in groups. We need to be doing prayer walks and prayer for services and classes and studies. And there's all kinds of creative ways that we can increase in the amount of prayer that we do as a church. Every ministry that we do, everything that we do rests upon that foundation of how we pray. If you want it to really work, if you want us to be strong, we need to be praying. No prayer, no power. Strong church. The ones I've visited that you can go, yeah, this is a strong church. They have prayer all the time. They pray their way through everything they do. So I would ask, as your participation, consider your ministry of prayer. And for those who are watching streaming and, and for those who don't feel that it's, it's, it's for them to be in, 
in personal contact, in, in fellowship here on Sunday mornings, this is a ministry that you can do. There are, there are multiple ways you can fit into the church and minister to the body of Christ by praying. Do not trivialize prayer. Another way to minister is, is serving on a team or, or a committee. I hate the word committee, but we use it. One of them that really touches my heart is the missions committee. They work diligently to communicate with and serve and care for the variety of missionaries that FBC supports. You can be a part of that and influence and help the ministry that this church has in this community, in this region, and in the world. That's part of what God asks us to do. You can be a part of that. Another couple of areas that that strike me as I put this together, uh, buildings and grounds. You know, somebody got up this morning, actually two of them, um, 5.30 or 6, something like that, and they pushed the snow off the parking lot and cleared the sidewalks. If you see Rick and Swade, he's over here, Thank them for that. You could be a part of that kind of ministry. We need that. We also need people involved with men's ministry and, and women's ministry. There's, there's some fascinating things going on in both men's ministry and women's ministry. You've got 14, 15 guys on Friday mornings. They're, they're, they're coming and they're hearing the things of God. There's a part of that that's discipleship and growing Women's ministry. Lori keeps telling me, well, we keep having more and more women come. That's huge. Be a part of that. You can be a part of children's ministry. Some of what's going down on downstairs and some of it is Sunday school. And there's youth ministry. 77 this week? I know it's not about the numbers, but, but we've got to pay attention to those numbers. 77 kids coming on Wednesday nights. Most of them, the majority of them, are not connected to church. That's their only connection to Christ. They're getting the message. That's why they're going to have a couple of baptisms on a Wednesday night, because a couple of kids have come to Christ. That's why Sam's getting baptized. That's part of it. And, and if I can embarrass the Nugabowers, hey. One of the reasons they've started attending church is because their kids got interested in Youth group on Wednesday nights. And they're helping with Wednesday night. They've connected. God is doing a work. He's doing something with this church. Let's not miss what he's doing. Some other areas that, that you can help strengthen this church is hosting or leading a small group. An amazing way to serve. Teaching a Sunday school class. Highly rewarding. Well, that's not me. You don't know unless you try. We can, we can always use instrumentalists or vocalists. We need, we need to continually be looking at people who might be able to work in the back with the technology. There's, there's people who are doing the streaming. There's people doing the slides and the audio. You could be a part of that. There's things in the office that you can volunteer to help with. It just goes on and on and on. The point is that you need to connect to the church. And that takes us to this idea of stewardship because the reality of any healthy Christian life, and that would be healthy church, is everything we do as believers is to be worship. Everything you do should be worship. Not just on Sunday mornings. 
Everything, everything, every single day should be worshipped. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. If you notice in that passage, he does not say, as you give your lives sacrificially on Sunday only, do whatever you want on Tuesday and Wednesday. This is your spiritual worship. This is who you are as believers. Go be who God has made you to be. And every one of us who's a human was made to worship. What Paul is getting at here and multiple places in his writings, and I think scripture as a whole, is that we're to be people who worship. And that means that every relationship, every job, every business, every use of our time is to be worship. Everything about who we are and what we do is to be worshiped. That has a lot to do with where I'm going with this idea of stewardship. So this isn't just about whether or not you're given Do I want you to give more? I'd like for you to give as much as the Spirit of God wants you to give. I was in one church once, and and they they, they needed a certain amount of money, and and so they were after money. And so the pastor said, okay, I want you all to stand up. We're going to take offering, and I want you to reach into the pocket or the purse of the person in front of you and give like you've never given before. (laughs) That is only a small portion of stewardship. Finances. Let's look at this. Because this idea of stewardship is a principle. Matthew 25. It's a familiar story to most people who've been in the church. It's the parable of the talents. Most of the time, this parable is applied strictly to finances. But we're going to see this morning that it goes beyond that. It's a principle. Verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property... To one he gave five talents, and to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Is that you? Now a long time... After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had... Excuse me. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent 
in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, I knew that you, that I reap where, sorry, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in bank and on my arrival, I would have received the money back with interest. Therefore, take away that talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. Verse 30 is very difficult. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those are strong words. The whole parable is, is, is so amazing. So let's go through and, and look at a couple of things. First, we need to understand that term talent. And that's, that's going to be a little bit of something we've got to dig a little bit this morning. Because there's a difference culturally. The basic meaning, the literal meaning of talent was, was something weighed on a scale. And the word became used for a denomination of money. So, so, so culturally, it was just something weighed, and then it became money. And then it became to mean a whole lot of money. And we'll see that in a minute. Also, in this parable, we need to understand some of the symbolism that is in this parable because there's a bigger principle at play. In this parable, the one giving the talents represents, it's symbolic, of Christ. The journey that he leaves and goes on, then, is the time between Christ's death and when he returns at the end of this age. I think that becomes very apparent. Those hearing this parable from Jesus, so they're receiving this this talent, they're, they're understanding this from Jesus, they would have clearly understood that the talent Jesus was mentioning, that the talent he's using in this parable, meant a large monetary value. Large, like millions in today's dollars. One talent. It was huge. Huge. But there's so much more than just a monetary principle here. Can we apply it monetarily? Yes, we can, but there's more. Notice in this parable, the master, that's Jesus. Jesus is entrusting gifts to his servants. Servants are those who follow Christ as disciples. Each one of us who is a follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus is a servant of the master. That's that's part of the meaning of being a disciple, being a follower. And what we also then see is that Jesus is still giving gifts. Is he not? Or did he just stop? And the answer throughout the New Testament is he continues to give gifts. To who? To whom? His followers. His servants. That's you and me. Now, this word talent, we need to dig a little more because we use the term differently than they used the term in the first century. And this is where we begin to see this bigger application. When we use the term talent, we don't mean money. 
In our day, in our language and society, a talent is a gift or an ability. When we describe someone as talented, we don't mean they're financially wealthy. They might be, but that's not how we use the term. Somebody who's talented may have money, but that's, you could be talented and have no money, right? What we mean is they are able to do something in a gifted and disciplined way. That's how we use the term. In verse 14, the gifts in the parable were entrusted to the slaves. Entrusted, that word that's used there means the the slaves were given the power to use the gifts the master has given. That's what's all behind that, the meaning of that word. And it goes just beyond given the power. Because given the power, there's an intention given. So that entrusted word means I'm going to give you the power with the intention that you're going to do something with what I give you. So in our parable, the master says, here, I've given you five talents, Dick. Most I can give you. The intention is that you will recognize I give you the power to do with that whatever you will. And I expect a return because I want you to bless me, your master. Not that I'm your master, but okay. That's the parable. Use the gifts. I empower you to use the gifts and use them so that you profit the master. Well, who's our master? Jesus. So the gifts that he gives are meant to make Jesus look greater and bigger and, and amazing. Also, we see this in in the parable, in verse 15, the talents are given according to ability. Now, this is where the talent thing and ability, that, that in our day and age, that, that becomes confusing. Because in our society, in our culture, a talent and an ability are synonyms. We most often use them that way. He's, he's really talented. He has such great ability. We use those as synonyms. Knowing the Greek here is really valuable because it helps us sort this out. Talents are the gifts and abilities. Mm, Not quite, because abilities comes from a different word. Abilities comes from dunamis, which means power or capability. So when Jesus in this parable gives gifts, gives talents, and we talk about ability... So, in our parable, he's saying, I give you the ability? Hmm. What does that mean? The power. So, I'm going to give you the gift, and I'm going to give you the power. Once again, the same idea. You are given something, and you have all of the power, all of the ability to use it. God has given every believer gifts and the power to use those gifts. One other thing, if you, if you really pay attention to the things in Scripture, and this par- parable in particular, he's the master. They're the slaves. He's under absolutely no obligation to give the servants anything. And that's true today. So what we can say about the gift giving in this parable is that they were given as an act of grace. 
These are grace gifts. That hasn't changed. Everything you have, everything you are, everything about you is a gift. It's by grace that you have anything. God continues to amaze us because he gives us grace and gifts because we're his. He's under no obligation to do that other than the simple fact that he loves us. This idea of grace given, it's something that Paul uses often. And and he uses the phrase or, or, or phrases similar to the grace given. Let me give you a couple of examples. First one, um, the first two are, are about Paul himself. Uh, Romans twelve three. For by the grace given, there it is, to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So in that verse, the grace given is Paul's unique authority as an apostle. That was given by God. Grace given. Another example, 1 Corinthians 15.10. The, the, the phrasing, the word is, is a little bit different, but it's the same idea. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Paul was given the capabilities of, to effectively apply the unique abilities that God gave him. So that's how Paul uses that phrase, grace given to himself. But Paul also uses that phrase f- for all of us who are believers. For example, Romans twelve six, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, and then he goes on. Grace given. Let us use them. So the gifts are given with the intention of them being used. Doing something. Another example, Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You have been given a gift by grace, by the king of the universe. As head of the church, Jesus gives each believer gifts by grace. It's an act of his choice. He chooses to do that, just like we see in that parable of the talents. So those gifts are given. Now, when you come to Christ, you are also then indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that's where we see the power. It disturbs me when somebody says, well, Pastor, I, I can't teach. I was telling somebody about a friend of mine named Gary who's, who was an amazing five-year-old Sunday school teacher. And Gary's story is really amazing. But the kids loved him. He's just a big, warm, teddy bear. And he's teaching five-year-olds? Where did he get the power to do that? You need power to teach five-year-olds? From my perspective, you need a lot of power to teach five-year-olds. Okay. Each believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That is why you can do whatever God has placed in your life to do. The power to use the gifts that are given is because the Spirit of God 
lives in you. And God, God expects us to use what he has been given for his, for his glory. The gifts aren't given so that you look good. The gifts are given so that he looks good. You've been given the power and the ability and, and the talent and all of that. God's given that to you. And God's just going, go do it. We're to do things for the kingdom of God and we're to do whatever for the glory of God. First Peter chapter 1. Uh, chapter 4, I'm sorry. First Peter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's all about glorifying God. Every aspect of who you are and what you do. That's stewardship. Now, because, because we struggle with our sin nature, we all struggle with that, except for Dick. That's why he got the five talents earlier. Because we struggle with our sin nature, we all risk acting like the worthless servant and neglect what God has given. We neglect it. That's sinfulness. And remember what the reaction was? Jesus says, throw out the worthless slave into the outer... Whoa, man. That's, that's dangerous. So that becomes a, an issue in our life if we're going to follow Christ and if we're going to say, yeah, I'm going to live as the church. Are we neglecting what God has given God supplies each believer what is needed to apply the gift. And because this is all by God's grace, we are, we are able to, to free ourselves from pride. That's a huge one. Well, I could, I could never do that because I, I, I can't do it like, and you could fill in the blank of who that is. Really? Then what you're saying is the gift that God has given you is in this value as, as valuable to you as it is to somebody else. That means you're diminishing what God has done. Do you really want to do that? God has given you a gift. He's given you that gift because of who you are and how he's wired you. Go do whatever he's called you to do. It's about doing for him. And because it's by grace, none of us deserve it. We don't have to compare ourselves to anybody else. There's no comparison. We don't need to go there. If you're a follower of Christ, you've been given talents, to use the language of our parable. So this then presents us with a very vital question. What are you doing with what God has given and there's a, there's a theme that just keeps coming up in every one of these messages. And I'll pose it as a, as a question. Are you a contributor? 
or a spectator? Do you contribute to the, to the life of the church? Are you using your gift or are you just sitting back, watching, consuming? I wonder. Now, let's go on because you're all going, oh man. There are two other areas that we need to examine when we talk about stewardship. And they go together with the gifts. They go together with the talent. And those two areas of stewardship that we need to include are material wealth and time. The three go to, you can't separate those three. You're gifted, you've been given time, and you've been given material possessions. You do realize, all of you that are here and all of you that are watching, that you are the most wealthy or among the most wealthy of every human being on this planet by far. We talk about a level of poverty in this country, and there are places I've been firsthand. I've watched people, and our level of what we call poverty in this country would be absolute hideous wealth in comparison. We we are nearly consumed daily with all of the stuff we have available. What's more valuable? God is infinitely more value than any earthly thing you have. You're in church, so you all go, yep. Amen, preach it, brother, from the belly. Right? Is he more valuable than everything you own, everything he's given you? If that's true, then we should use all of our material possessions to glorify God as an act of worship. If he is that valuable, if he is truly the most valuable thing in our life, then everything we have, everything we do, should be worshiping him. Hmm. Okay. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So he's prospered you all. He's prospered us in in amazing ways. But we miss the point. In that first verse there, he says, good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's even more than you've got here. And then he says this, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If if your treasure is in your stuff here, more than there, you're missing out. Everything you have here can be taken away. Everything you have here can be destroyed. Everything you store up in heaven...
cannot end, cannot be taken away, will not tarnish, and it will continually maintain its value. How do you get stuff there? By how you worship here. Are you a good steward or not? That's also a point in the, in the parable of the talent. Why did he give the, the servant five more? Because of what the servant did. We need to remind ourselves in this society that there is absolutely no possession that will go with you to heaven. I'm sorry, you may, you may love whatever. It ain't going with you. Sorry. You just, it's not going to go. And one of the reasons that we need to recognize that is because anything here can't even come close to comparing what we have there. Why do we need to take that stuff with us? Let's, let's look for the good stuff. The other side of that is every possession that you have here while living in this life can be used to build God's kingdom and glorify God. So it's not like, well, let's just all sell it and just live on the streets and be poverty stricken. Instead, let's use what God has given. There's a reason why he has placed you here at this time, and there's a reason why he has given you and prospered you, whatever it is. And what's the reason? To glorify him. To worship him. God said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do. That covers a lot of territory. Your hobbies, your family, your possessions, your business. By God's grace, we have been given money and things. We live in this country. It was his choice to put you here. He, I mean, did you have a choice where you were born? Anybody who has, anybody be able to, do you remember making that choice? Be born in the United States? Anybody? Okay. The only people that could do that is somebody who might have been born in Austria. Okay. And, and okay. Well, you, you didn't choose to be born in Austria either. You've been given things. You've been given prosperity. Some have more than others. And that makes no difference. The difference is whether or not you worship with what God has given you. That's what we see in the, in the parable. One was given five, one was given two, and one was given one. Two of them worshiped with it. The one that was given two didn't go, well, I am so offended. God gave him five, and he only gave me two. That's not what's there. Instead, he went, I'm going to do whatever I can to make the master look great. I only have two, but man, I'm going to make the master look good. I've got two. Same thing the guy with five is doing. I've got five. That doesn't mean I'm better than him with two. I'm just going to make the master look good. I'm going to go do whatever I have to do. The only one that failed at that failed to worship God, failed to make his master look good. Oh, ouch. The bottom line is God intends all he has been given 
to be used to worship him. You give your money to the church, you, you, that'd be great. Give it as worship. There's a really neat example of worshiping with our, our stuff. I, I, I like it. It's in Exodus 36. And, and so the background for Exodus 36 is that Moses, Moses is building the tabernacle. And if you've studied the t- tabernacle at all, what that was was the place that God would meet with his people. So the entire complex of the tabernacle can be refined down to one aspect, and that is this is all about worship. Yeah, you got all the sacrifices, and you got Aaron, and the, all, of, all of the priests, and all of the sacrificing, and the gold, and the ark, and all of that stuff. The bottom line of all of that stuff is this is worshiping God. I'm going to be with you, and this is how you respond. That's worship. It's a place where God would meet his people, and it was dedicated to worship. So to build that, God gives Moses the design, and the people were asked to contribute to the ministry of building the tabernacle. They had to have gold and precious stones and silver and and some really incredible fabric and leather and, and all these parts, all these components had to come together. And the people were asked to contribute to that. Exodus 36, 3. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. There's a certain phrase there that I really want you to pay attention to. He did not say they tithed. He did not say they tithed so that there would be all of these things needed for the worship of the tabernacle. They brought free will offerings. That means this was a condition of their heart. They said, my stuff doesn't matter unless it glorifies God. That's why it's a free will offering. As a free will offering. By the, just because God has moved in my heart, I'm going to give whatever I can to the worship, the ministry. Now what happened? Well, they abundantly responded to, and Moses had to do something rather unique. He had to ask the people to stop bringing stuff because they didn't have any place to put it. Verse 4, Exodus 36, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and Word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. Don't give any more. Because we don't know what to do with it. Now, a warning. I am not saying that the church has enough. We are a blessed church. We really are a blessed church. What I am saying is that we need to approach this the same way that the Israelites did concerning the tabernacle as a free will offering and just keep braining. If it gets to the point that we can't contain it anymore because we're, we're doing all kinds of ministry and, and really, how much would it take for us to stop 
you're giving if we're doing ministry? How many missionaries could we support? How many ministries could we be doing in Douglas? How many people could we reach, could be reached before we as a church have to go, eh, stop. And I'm of the ilk that says, if it's a free will offering, you need to be bringing it. Bring it on. Why? Because that's worship. Worship God with whatever he's given you. If he's blessed you, then give because he's blessed you. Make it worship. We worship here giving monetarily. That's one of the ways we worship. Now, because of COVID, we've quit doing it as part of our service. We don't pass the plates. I kind of miss that. Because those plates were a part of this process of worshiping. But we can continue to give free will offerings by, by taking the, the, the financial gifts that we have and placing them in the box. There's one out here, there's one in the back of the sanctuary, and there's one over in the office. So you drop your stuff in there and you worship. Sometimes when I think of that, I think of you know, someone can come in you know, and they're bringing their, their check and it's in an envelope and they come over to the box and they drop it and they go, Oh God, be glorified as I drop it into the slot. Worship with it. It's, it's his anyway. So we need, to, we need to look at this idea of stewardship, gifts, finances, possessions. Let me, let me ask you a, a hard question. When, when we as believers, when you as a believer think about your money and your possessions, and this is for all of us, there's two ways we can think of this. Do, do we worship what we have? Or do we worship with what we have? One little word. It changes it completely. Do you worship what you've got? Or do you worship God with what you have? The other issue that goes along with this, and you you can't separate it, is time. Time is also a a crucial element, issue of stewardship and worship. It's very common in our culture to greet somebody, How you doing? And the response is, I'm really busy. And we use that in some really strange ways sometimes. We are busy. The reality is that each one of us has exactly the same amount of time. Uh, there's, there's the same number of seconds in every day for me as there is for you, Danny. Sorry. Well, unless you got more. Did you have more? Oh, okay. We've got the same amount then the issue of stewardship of time is how we use the time that God has given to each one of us. How do you use it? When we look at every aspect of our life, which we've seen in in several places this morning, when we look at every aspect of our life, do we worship God with our time? An example of that, a story in, in the New Testament, Jesus has gone to a dinner party. The dinner's being given by two sisters, Mary and Martha, really good friends of Jesus's. And while at that dinner, Jesus starts teaching. And, and while Jesus is teaching, Martha's in the kitchen. 
And she's consumed with the busyness of, of having house guests and doing all the things that need to be done. Her sister, on the other hand, is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to the Master. That's worship, by the way. Martha was offended. She was offended by Mary's behavior. Jesus picks up on that, which is easy for him to do because he knows everything that we think. And he responds this way, Luke 10, 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. How was Mary spending her time? Connected to Jesus. The reality of our stewardship of time is this. We often choose busyness as a way of looking more important to others. And we also use it as a convenient way of avoiding the difficult things of serving God. I can't serve on that committee because I'm too busy. And very often that attitude is, I'm better than you are. My stuff is more important. And that's a good way that I can avoid being on that committee or serving in some capacity. Choosing ministry and serving means choosing to rearrange our time and priority. Really, it's a priority change. And the reality is that those changes, those choices to change our priorities are made most difficult because of our selfish preoccupation with the things of this world. The things of this world are very, very much more important than the things of God. Hmm. Goes back to our parable. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness in that place where the weeping and gnashing of teeth. That sounds harsh, but it's, it's the reality. Are we going to worship God or are we going to worship our time and our stuff? Be, being busy is, is an easy way out of serving. It's an easy way out. I mean, who can argue with that? I'm too busy, Pastor. Okay, well, what can I say? Quit your job. I can't necessarily do that. And there's the reality that there are times when we are overwhelmed. I know that. It happens in my life. There are times when we are legitimately too busy. We know that's in Scripture. Moses is another example. In in Exodus 18, his father-in-law comes along and says, Moses, my son, my boy, you're overwhelmed. You need to find some people to come alongside of you and help you. It's not wise to be overextended and take on too many responsibilities. So, So here again, we have this whole idea of how this all works together in the church. There are some in the church who are continually overextended. There are often times when the conversation of your two pastors goes along those lines. I don't know how to do anymore. We're at our limit. Can't we get somebody who will just 
take on, and, and we could fill in the blank. Come alongside. There are others in the church who keep doing things. They're just consumed. What are they consumed with? Their own stuff? No, they're consumed with the things of God's kingdom. And yeah, they, they're a bit overextended. Where's the body of Christ? I'm too busy. And sometimes I'm too busy because I've got to take care of my stuff. I worship my stuff more than I worship God. The bottom line for this stewardship part of being the church, of living as the church, is that stewardship is all about worship. And, we want, and this, this area of worship and stewardship is one of the clearest ways of determining a person or a church's heart. When I try to evaluate somebody I'm counseling with, really where they're at with Jesus, one of the places I can find that, at least some hints in that, is how they approach their stuff and their time. Our motivation to be good stewards of the gifts and possessions and time is to hear the master say what we saw in that, in that parable. Matthew 25, 23. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Which one of us, who in this room, who belongs to Jesus Christ, who's following the master, does not want to hear that? Does that not ignite something inside of you to stand before Jesus and have him say, well done, you've been faithful. Enter into my joy. Whoa, the joy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the ruler and master of all of the universe says, come enter into my joy. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's stewardship. I'd like for you to consider how you are investing in that joy of your master. What are you doing? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you give us gifts. I thank you, Father, that you are continually giving grace. Forgive us when we selfishly become spectators instead of participants. And forgive us when we worship our stuff more than you. I ask, Father God, for each believer here and those that are watching, that you would change our attitude, that you would redirect our lives, and that the Holy Spirit would stir up inside of us and help us to change those priorities so that everything we do, everything we are, everything we own becomes a tool of worship so that you, Master, become greater and greater and more glorified. Help us with that. Thank you, Father God, that you love us and give us grace gifts.
Come, Lord Jesus. Use us in your kingdom. Amen.